Welcome to Women Worth Knowing, the new title for the podcast hosted by Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. Women Worth Knowing is not affiliated, associated, authorized, endorsed by, or in any way officially connected with the website Women You Should Know. Hello and welcome to Women You Should Know. We are Jasmine Allnut and Mm -hmm. myself, Cheryl Broderson. We talk about women who have done notable things for Jesus Christ. And most of these women are simple, ordinary women with an extraordinary God. I think there was a book called Ordinary Women. There is. Well, I know there's women who knew their God. There's stuff like that, or Ordinary Mm -hmm. Women with an Extraordinary God, yeah. I just love that idea. So who do you have for us today, Jasmine? Well, Cheryl, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) Today we're going to talk about Mary Slessor a little bit. Another one of those fireballs. I feel like that's... What we've covered the most so far are the real, like... So far? There's only been three women, but they have been. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we... They're really colorful. Yeah, we've been covering women kind of that we really relate to, right? Yes, it must be what it is. We'll get to the mild, the mellow ones later, you know. We will get to those too. Yes, and there are some. (laughs) Oh, and there's some wonderful ones. I mean, yeah. But Mary Slessor had red hair, so that... And she's Scottish. Yeah, she's got that... Oh, right there, you know. Yeah, you know we're in for something interesting, kind of an adventure here. Now, Jasmine, just for those who listening, Mm -hmm. you've got a connection in that your brother-in-law is Scottish. Yes. And your sister and and your brother-in-law live in Scotland and have a ministry there. Yeah. Yeah. They live in in Glasgow. Well, just outside of Glasgow. And my brother-in-law, he's an engineer, but he also pastors Calvary Chapel, Glasgow City. And they have two kids. They've raised over there. Yeah. So I definitely have a a love for Scotland, a heart for Scotland. I remember after Maddie first got married and moved over there, anytime I heard bagpipes, I'd cry. I was just (laughs) missing her. But over the years, obviously, we've seen the Lord do such a neat thing with them over there. And so I'm, yeah, very blessed and thankful that that's actually kind of almost part of my heritage now. It's a little bit of a Scottishness. That's right. That's right. Yeah. There's just some really neat, neat men and women of the faith that came from there. In fact, Mary Slessor's inspiration, David Livingston, who's probably a much more familiar figure than she is. He's a man he, you should know. <laughs> oh, he's a man you should know. We'll say, let, let Brian do that yeah, podcast. Yeah, Brian can do that <laughs> podcast. With. He's uh, kind of considered the great pathfinder of Africa, who right. was a missionary that trailblazed and opened up a lot of Africa to Christianity, to the West, all of that sort of a thing. Because prior to that, Africa was considered a dark, the dark continent. Mm-hmm. And so he was kind of an inspiration to Mary. They, I don't think they ever met necessarily. They're in maybe a different generation a little bit there. Plus, he was in Africa most of his life, so he wasn't around. <laughs> but he inspired her. And one of his mottos was, I am willing to go anywhere provided it be forward. Like, mm. I refuse to ever go back, yes. go backwards or retreat. Yes. And that Mary, that was a motto that Mary really took on for her own life. And you really see that in how she lived. They even had a lot of really interesting parallels, the two of them, in their background. Because obviously, like Cheryl said, they were both Scottish. They both grew up working in the mills and factories of Scotland during the Industrial Revolution. So we're talking, you know, early, mid-1800s when there's just tons of factory work and a lot of people moving from the country into the cities to work. And so... That's what they did. I mean, from the time they were about nine or 10 years old, the kids go and work in the factories. And then if you were in a progressive factory, you would go to school for a little while afterwards. I think they both were able to do that. I've been to David Livingston's homestead. Well, his not his homestead. The factory he lived and worked in in Blantyre. And that was one of the more progressive Scottish factories where the kids could get an education. So they both grew up in a very similar 
situation in that way. Although Mary had a little bit more of a of a difficult background. David, he grew up in a Christian home, but Mary, her mother was a wonderful godly woman, loved the Lord, appointed all her children to Jesus, very gentle and gracious, but her father was an alcoholic. And that brought a lot of grief and a lot of pain to the family. Mary, I believe her older brother passed away pretty young, and so she was the oldest kid in the family. So she would, you know, go to work with mom, but she also kind of had to be her mom's support when dad would come home, you know, in a drunken rage and throw the food that they had prepared and scrimped and saved to make these meals for everyone. He would just come in and throw it in the fire and just be completely unaware of what he was doing. Many nights, Mary would be forced out into the streets to sleep and then get up in the morning and go to the factory to work. She'd just get chased out of the house. So there was just a lot of hardship in that. You know, I I really admire that so far because think Mm. of how many people have similar backgrounds and and move to criminal activity or uh, hate God Mm. or, you know, can't get over it, can't move on, can't move forward in life because of situations like this. But Mary gave her life to the Lord when she was still— she was still very young. very young. There was a yeah, an old lady in that. Well, I think her mom's influence probably mm-hmm. played the greatest role. But there was also a well-meaning elderly lady in the neighborhood who would <laughs> call all the neighborhood lassies together. I'm not even going to try a Scottish accent because it's just you know it's too hard. It's yes. butcher it. She'd call them all in, and then she'd sit them in front of her fire, and then she'd start stoking the flames and say, "You'll go to hell if you don't accept Jesus." It's like this, and you know, get the kids all freaked out, hellfire and brimstone <laughs> to chase them into the kingdom. So Mary said that. She said, I came into the kingdom of God with hellfire and brimstone. But when I once I was there, I realized it was a kingdom of love and joy. <laughs> and I never wanted to preach it that way to anybody else. But, mm-hmm. you know, the Lord used that lady. Right. So, yes. <laughs> so, yes, Mary gives her life to the Lord. And I'm glad you mentioned that about, you know, just the choices we all have with the trials in our lives. And, you know, there's that old saying that the same fire that hardens clay softens wax. And That's we right. really get to yes. choose what kind of material we're going to be mm-hmm. in our lives. And Mary really allowed the Lord to take her suffering and hardship so that she could go minister to others that were suffering. And mm-hmm. it was just beautiful. She even began to work with, as a young woman, after she got a little bit older, she'd go work with, I guess we would call them gang kids back then. Mm-hmm. But they, they didn't really have gang bangers like we do now. But, you know, just street kids, street rats, I now, guess. Now, did she work with the Shawleys or was that Carmichael. Amy Carmichael? But there's a similarity even yes, there. Yes, because I remember seeing that. Well, they lived about the same time. Yes, They're almost yes. contemporaries. Yeah. Yeah, but But, she was ministering to the factory workers, too, and those that she worked with. So how did she get the call to go to Africa? Yeah, right. Yeah, after all of this. Because she's a single woman. Yeah. And how tall was she? She wasn't— Oh, she was another shorty, like Gladys Aylward. We were talking another five foot, five foot one. With red hair. Yeah, red hair. called to Africa. Stands out like a sore thumb. Right, so she in Africa. Yeah, even more than Gladys Aylward did. Right. (laughs) Way more. I mean, she definitely—this was a very unique situation. Mm -hmm. So— uh, with Mary, you know, she was working with, like I said, with, uh, na- you know, street kids uh, in her neighborhood, the rough and tough. And the Lord was really using her in that. Again, using the hardship in her life to connect her with others who'd gone through hardship. And she's leading these kids to the Lord. She was more effective than any of the other mission workers. So you'd think she would just stay there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's by now she's getting into her early 30s. And so it's becoming kind of a just a, a calling. And she seems set in that. However, she and her mom... The church that they went to always had missionaries come through and share it because the missionary movement had been going now for quite some time, and there were a lot of missions boards, and they would read missionary newsletters. And one region that they heard a lot about at their church was the region of Calabar, which would be in present-day Nigeria. I believe it's still there on the map, like that region in the country of Nigeria, Calabar, is still there. 
on the coast. They'd hear all these stories, and most of the stories about Calabar were pretty horrific. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's cannibalism there. There's This was not a region that David Livingston had reached. The missionaries there, there were missionaries that were brave enough to go there, but they all stayed on the coast. Nobody mm-hmm. wanted to go inland. They just kind of hugged to their little settlements because the people there were so dangerous and scary mm-hmm. and bloodthirsty criminals, all of that sort of a thing. And yet— There's something, there's a quote here I want to read from one of Mary's biographers, because I just think this really just captures her heart, because these were the ones that she felt so attracted to. And you know that has to be a calling from God. There's really no other explanation. Why wouldn't she want to just go minister to kids in an orphanage somewhere on the coast where it's safe, you know, something like that, or an established ministry? Why would she want to go here? But this is really neat. I love this. Her biographer said, they were the people of Calabar, were not an attractive people to work amongst, But neither must the dwellers of earth have appeared to Christ when he looked down from heaven before he took his place in their midst. And Mary Slessor shrank from nothing which she thought her master would have done. She rather welcomed the hardest tasks and considered it an honor and a privilege to be given them to do. And I just love that because I think we see that with all of these missionaries. We're going to continue to see that thread. It it was when they saw Jesus, like you were saying about, you know, Jenny Mitchell in the previous podcast, just... The love of Christ constraining you, that's really what makes all the difference. How you know God yes. is really what's going to motivate you. Exactly. And how you live your life. And I mean, he, she thought of what, you know, Jesus coming down to earth. Well, then, oh, my goodness, nothing I do could be that challenging. Now, did she go with the missionary organization? Ooh, she was with the Presbyterians. Yeah, she was mm-hmm. the Presbyterian Foreign Mission Board. That's who she went over with. Now, Scottish Presbyterians. You know, I remember she would write letters home, which mm. would take forever to get oh, there. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. but she would keep correspondence. This is Mary Slessor. And one of my favorite quotes that she has is it says, prayer is the dynamite that opens up the roadways for God to work. Oh, I love and it. And so she was begging people at home, pray. Mm. Just pray for me. If you pray, mm. God will open up the roadways. And mm. when I was reading her biography, they were saying that that's what the men would come down to make roadways. They would take dynamite and they would put it in these long grasses and everything. Mm. And as it exploded, it would you know chase away all the dangerous animals. Well, yeah, that's and a it bonus. Would, <laughs> it would actually burn away where there was no way, and when it was finished exploding, there'd be a path so advancement could go forward. And when she saw it, she related that to prayer. This is the power of Mm. prayer, which she obviously needed because she was small. So she goes into the interior. Yeah, because she started on the coast because that's where she landed. Yes. (laughs) And then, you know, she stayed with the missionaries there a little bit. But she was a little bit hard. For, this is like if you've seen Sound of Music, you know, how do you solve a problem like Maria? You right. can't catch a cloud and pin it down. That's pretty much how Mary Slessor was. They could not control her. She'd go climb trees. She was just something else. Well, and and so she ran barefoot in the jungle. She would go barefoot. Yeah, she would do all these things that were just not proper. You yep. know, I know we're missionaries, but we're still British. Yes, but not even proper, <laughs> but not necessarily safe. Barefoot. Well, that too. That's barefoot. also yeah. <laughs> completely unsafe as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, remember her motto, David Livingston's motto, I'll go anywhere provided it be forward. She didn't want to stay in one place. She's like, we have, the Lord's doing a work here on the coast. Yes, people are getting saved. Let's go further in, mm-hmm. further up and further in, right? Mm-hmm. And so she goes and gets stationed at an old abandoned outpost called Old Town. <laughs> what a creative name. Mm-hmm. And begins to minister there for a while. And she's obviously learning the language and teaching because there was so much death. If twin babies were born, 
They would superstitiously believe that they were cursed. and One know, was a demon. That one was a demon. Exactly. And one wasn't. And so they had to kill both of yes, them. Yes, you don't know which one is. So exactly. Make sure the demon doesn't live. Yep, so you break the baby's backs. I know it's oh. disgusting. Throw them in a, in a clay pot and put mm-hmm. them out in the jungle for the animals to eat. I mean, it was just horrific. There's a lot mm-hmm. of... A lot of that, a lot of violence and Mm -hmm. a lot of if you thought somebody was guilty of a crime, you put their hand in boiling oil and supposedly if it doesn't hurt them, then they're innocent. Well, it's like, (laughs) okay, (laughs) there's a lot of horrific things that were happening. And so she brought the message of life and she brought medicine, brought practical tools, and then she would begin to share and minister. And she became known as the White Ma. That's Mm -hmm. what they called her. And so she began to develop this reputation. She would bring peace to tribal conflicts. She heard that two rival chieftains were coming mm. to battle at mm-hmm. a certain place, and she went running barefoot. Yes, yes. <laughs> you want to finish this story? Well, I'll tie in with a different story, because one yeah. time, it's kind of a similar situation where she heard about it, but she wasn't going to make it quite in time. So she took a piece of just parchment that she had, wrote a bunch of scribble marks on it, sealed it with an official wax seal, and gave it to a little boy. Be the runner. Go bring this to the chieftains. So they get this scroll from the white ma, and they're like, well, this must be really important. She knew they couldn't read, so she just threw a bunch of things all over it. But it, it stalled them because it, they're like, well, it must be important. We can't attack without until we know what this says. And so that gave her time to get there in order to break up the fight. So she comes running through the jungle barefoot, like Cheryl said, to stop these men from going to war. And this happened on more than one occasion. Uh-huh. You know, they would a lot of times get really drunk. So they'd get some liquid courage, get out there to go and really mm-hmm. take out the other guys. So they're not necessarily even rational, just bloodthirsty. And she would walk out in the midst of them. And it was almost just like, peace be among you. This little tiny woman would just come out and be like, guys, can't we sit and talk about this? Now, under normal circumstances, there's absolutely no way that that mm-hmm. would have worked. Mm-hmm. Right. This had to be supernatural. And she said there were so many times where my courage was ready to just fly out the window. It was totally an act of faith, kind of like Gladys were going into right. that prison. Right. But she stepped out. God calmed the situation. And it was amazing how she could get these men to just sit down and talk out their problems like women. <laughs> Pretty crazy. And it was so cute. She said that she would sit under a nearby tree while they talked and knit. To try to calm her nerves because she would wow. still be kind of like, you know, you get wow. a big adrenaline yes. rush there. Yes, she, I, I don't so. know how many beanies she made per conflict, but man, must have been kind of nuts. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that was how she would resolve. So she became their great mediator. She served in all these practical ways and then from there had a door in with the gospel. That's one other thing that's really cool about her. She moved further and further inland. She would wait. I think a lot of times, especially as Americans, we're real go-getters. We Mm want to just get out there and like, okay, Mm -hmm. I got to get to work, roll up my sleeves. But she chose to wait and pray and watch and let the Lord open the opportunities. And that was hard because she'd have to watch a lot of atrocities take place in front of her Mm. while she's waiting Mm -hmm. on the Lord. But she didn't have a voice yet. She didn't have their trust. She needed Mm -hmm. to earn that. And so that wisdom to just wait on the Lord for those divine appointment and opportunities to arise. And it was amazing how he did that to the point where she was able to bring peace to that region and bring open the gospel and even Western trade into mm-hmm. that whole region of Nigeria. And she had a house that functioned as like an outpost. I remember reading that she had this little house where sometimes people would run to it to oh, get her cool. advice yeah, or yeah, yeah. to get medical help or treatment that they knew where to find her. Yes. Which, you know, to to kind of park herself right in the middle of yes. the jungle. Yeah. And to build her home there and to be available. So accessible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. And she often, she would uh, rescue a lot of those babies. Mm-hmm. And so she'd 
had all of these kids living yes. in the house yes. there. I think there, I can't remember, but I think she, didn't she develop some kind of a bell system because she got tired of getting up all the time? I don't know. I can't remember what she did. She felt, developed some system during the night where she could help the ones that really needed it instead of having to get up and check on every single person all the time. Mm-hmm. So if you need me, ring. Otherwise, I'm going to bed. <laughs> so <laughs> practical. Yes. Practical. Very practical woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, she was. That was basically, you know, that was Mary's ministry for many, many years, I believe about 40 years. Mm. And towards the end of her of her life there, she had gone in among the Koyong tribes in Calabar. Mm-hmm. And they were the most sinister, the most dangerous, the ones that were considered completely the untouchables. Mm-hmm. And that was where she, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that's probably where she put that base, established that base. Mm-hmm. And from there... A lot of ministry radiated out. And like I said, she was able to connect them with the tribes on the coast who didn't trust them. The Okoyong, they all became friends and connected with one another. And then, of course, the gospel was able to spread even further by that trust that was built and by those connections. And so she was actually named the first, I want to say magistrate, I think basically the first magistrate, British magistrate mm-hmm. of that area in North Africa. Pretty remarkable, really, mm-hmm. especially, too, because she was a woman, too, mm-hmm. as well. Very remarkable. And the fact, too, that she actually loved these people. I yes. mean, she loved these people. She didn't think of them as her project. Not at all. But yeah. these were people that Jesus loved, mm-hmm. that had the image of God on them that she wanted to bring the gospel to. Mm. And again, she was she had a lot of threats on her life because of the slave traders, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You the, know, yeah. because one of the things with the slave traders is they wanted to call them savages and, mm-hmm. you know, demean and devalue them and dehumanize them Mm -hmm. so that they could exploit them. And she became a threat because she was bringing Christ to them. And now they're brothers and sisters. You can't, you know, you can't can't do that anymore. (laughs) And so she was such a remarkable woman. Mm -hmm, Now she mm -hmm. died in Africa. Yes, she did. She did. And she died. I wouldn't, well, maybe not young, young. I believe was she in her sixties. Young. That's, yes. yes, yeah. That's oh, yes, yes. So sorry. young. So young. <laughs> she was 67. That day. seems young to me. Yes. But she, I mean, yeah, I think she probably would have lived longer if she wasn't out there in the jungle. So, you know, but it didn't, you know, but that's how she chose to spend mm-hmm. and be spent, you know, mm-hmm. like the Apostle Paul talks about. And just her, you know, again, her, her boldness and courage right up to the very end. She had actually even like, she would get her missionary support and she would live so simply just right living among the people that she would have money to send back home to her mom mm-hmm. and to her family to support them. I mean, isn't that a weird thought? We think about supporting missionaries. Well, what do you do when the missionary turns around and supports you? I mean, that's just a really r- remarkable. But again, it was it, it didn't matter. That wasn't what she was there for. I mean, she really and like you said, it wasn't they weren't a project to her. She really genuinely viewed these people like like Cheryl said, made in the image of God and Again, like like that quote that I read, she she saw them as Jesus did. And I think that's really what we see again. We're going to continue to see that, I think, with all the women we look at, mm-hmm. is that as they got a glimpse of what Jesus had done for them, it just was a natural outflow. You know, Mary Slessor wasn't like more remarkable or amazing than anyone else in and of herself. She was just a normal girl like we've talked about. She was a factory worker. She didn't have like some brilliant education. She was tiny, but she had a big God and she just made herself available and was constrained by his love for these mm-hmm. people. She really, you know, didn't see all of the the dangerous, horrible things they did. She saw them as 
created in his image. And, and ignorant. And they did these things yes, out of ignorance. Yes, they did. Exactly. And, you know, it wasn't purposeful. They didn't. This was just hmm. uh, because the Survival. gods they served, too. Yes. They yes. served these very cruel gods that were demanding these cruel things of them. Mm-hmm. So she brought to them the god of love. Mm-hmm. who loved each one and valued them. So that made such a difference, too. But we talked about how, you know, there were slave traders that mm-hmm. hated her. There were, you know, the dangers, poisonous spears. Oh, and man, yes. Ma- yeah. Machetes. And I mean, she's with dangerous people, warlike people. Mm-hmm. But there were also the dangers of being in the jungle. And I, yes, there was, what was, she had an encounter that was so. Oh, there so, was a really funny one when yes. she was with a bunch of her kids. They were in a boat uh, or like a little canoe on the river. I think she had about three or four or five kids with her. So it was a pretty full canoe. And they got attacked by a hippo. Yes. Of all things. It's just like, where. Hippos are so dangerous. Well, who, I mean, I would never know that. I yes. mean, my goodness. Are they, yes. Wow. That's, yes. that's pretty disturbing. I've heard that. Yes. That okay, they're very, well. And they hide under the water so you don't know. Like, Oh, my gosh. But I heard that they, they're only dangerous if you, like, run over them with your boat. They get well, a little annoyed. Well, what happened. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and who knows? Probably, you know, she's with kids. One of the kids yes. might have done something dumb with one know, of the right? oars. I don't yeah. know. and Or the paddles. Not oars. But anyway, so yes, this hippo rises up out of the water and comes toward them. And I don't even know why she had this in the boat with her. She happened to have a cauldron, like a big, like a pot, like a cooking pot. And she just chucked it into the hippo's mouth. And so I guess the hippo is just like, ah, I, I don't know how, it, you know, I don't know what he did. But that must have just like, somehow that was her reaction and it deterred him and he went away. But I was like, wow, talk about quick thinking. But, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, dangers that you would not even expect. We think lions and tigers and bears, oh my, but nobody thinks of hippos. So. Hippos and snakes and <laughs> oh, yeah. lions. Oh, yeah, and... all of that. It was, it was wild. And, yes, you know, and there she is just living. Uh, there's another uh, fun story. <laughs> Because she was a little bit on the eccentric side. She didn't mind running around barefoot. And as she moved further into the jungle and she's living in a, you know, humid tropical place, she can't wear her big British dress. I mean, you know, we're talking Victorian era. Yes, Yes, there's no room for a hoop skirt out in the jungle. No. So she was kind of stripped down into like her pet. What would you call those? Pantaloons? Yes. Pantaloons is what they used to call them. Yes. 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 Okay. Not to us. They're very, very modest. But back then. And she couldn't wear petticoats. All those things that were part of the the female attire then. Too much constraint. So she's living out there. And at one point, there was a man who was coming to help and assume he was probably one of those guys who was coming to clear the roads and help, you know, build some new structures. I can't remember if it was a school or something else. He just had a heart to serve and wanted to come help. And so she came out of the jungle to meet him. And... (laughs) And he was not expecting what the sight that greeted him. This is a Victorian man, and he's expecting her in full dress to show up. And she has her, you know, pantaloons on and her little whatever. Cloak. It was basically, it was was like seeing a woman in her underwear come out of the jungle. (laughs) And the man is just horrified. And she's like, okay, follow me. And he's like, I don't know where to look. He's just scandalized by this. But, you know, I mean, she... It wasn't. She wasn't really immodest, but in that time, it would have seemed like, what is she doing out here? She was so eccentric, but it was just kind of a but funny they, story. He right. saw her heart and realized, you know. <laughs> but she had to be progressive. I mean, she yeah. had to make cultural adjustments yes, for the place the that fly. she was yep. living in. That might not be, you know, to those in England because of their cultural mm-hmm. ideals in that time would be unacceptable. But if she tried to, and you know, this is something that we'll talk about a little bit when we talk about Hudson Taylor's oh, wife. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, Jenny and Hud- Taylor. Yeah, right, Jenny Taylor. Um, because they had to adjust to China. Yes. And that, you know, I remember hearing Robert McQuilkin, who is, he was a missionary and, mm-hmm. and a scholar. And he said that missionary work requires an incarnation. 
Wow. Just like Jesus became a man that he could minister mm. to us. And he said the most successful missionaries mm. become like the people yes. that they minister to. They learn the language so they can speak the language of the people. Mm-hmm. They learn the cultural ways. You know, Jesus lived under the law. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he's he made the law. He, yeah, he you did know, not he, have to do that. <laughs> right. But he lived under mm. the law so he could reach those yes. who were under the law. And so we see this with, you know, the most successful missionaries, that they became like those that they were ministering mm-hmm. to. So Mary, Mary lived yes. like those people that she ministered to yeah. and, you know, dressed in the best jungle attire possible. <laughs> I mean, she didn't look like Tarzan and Jane. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she wasn't that. Yeah. <laughs> a little more modest than that. Yeah, she was as modest as she could be, mm-hmm. but she had to adapt and adjust yes. to the, where she was at. And and it is so true. If you look at just the history of missions and, you know, and, and ministry, I, I love that quote, that there is an incarnational aspect to mm-hmm. that and really having to set those cultural things aside, those things that are we're accustomed to. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that scripture in Hebrews where it says, if Abraham and Sarah had been thinking about the country that mm. they come from, they would have returned. Yep. But they had to also make adjustments. They're living in Canaan now, mm-hmm, you know, and mm-hmm. they're sojourners through this. Yes, absolutely. And so with these missionaries. Now, what did she die of? That's what I can't remember. I mean, I think it was just like jungle life took its toll on her gradually. I mean, you know, she would deal with malaria regularly and a lot of those diseases. And so I think just over time, it just wore her down. I can't remember exactly what she died of, but it was something along those lines. And so, yes, she died January of 1915. So I forgot to even say that at the beginning. 1848 was when she was born. I just kind of gave you guys a rough, you know, Industrial Revolution thing there. But (laughs) 1848 to 1915. So that was when. when well, she you know, with me. red hair too. I mean, she could have even had skin cancer. And I think too. Oh yeah, absolutely, very fair skinned. When you're serving in the mission field, it's it's not like it's easy. When you're called, there's nothing you'd rather do. I yep. mean, and that's what you discover as we've been looking at some of these women on the mission field. We've mm-hmm. this is really what they they wanted to do and what God gave them a heart to do. Yeah. You know, and a love for these people. You know, you're thinking mm-hmm. too of Mary Slicer of all the people all over the world. Mm-hmm. It was uh, these in Calabar that she loved, that mm-hmm. she already had an affection for them before she even before met them. Before she met them, yep. The Lord gave her that heart, and he had prepared her as well, you know. I mean, God prepares us, and a lot of times we, you know, despise the day of small things. Forget that God wants to use those things to prepare us. Working with those gang boys, mm-hmm. you know, the rough and tough kids in Scotland was preparation for what the Lord was going to have her do. And and, and there were steps of, of boldness and steps of faith she had to take to connect with those kids because they were tough. They didn't mm-hmm. want her initially. You know, they didn't trust her. And so by working with them and loving them, she learned lessons that she would need for the future as well, just as he does in all of our lives, whether he calls us to go or stay. I even want to circle back to what you said about prayer um, and Mary Slessor's just emphasis on prayer blasting those roadways and making a way. You know, I mean, for those that are are called to hold down the home front, I mean, prayer is such an important ministry. I know my family's on the mission field, and right. I know Cheryl and Brian, they were on the mission field as well, and you can feel those prayers, and you, you can. know you can. when, you know, God's people are praying for you. And so that's an encouragement as well right. to everybody listening. But, you know, we've got so many other women to talk about, and I can't wait. One of them is Rosalind Goforth, who oh, wrote the book, How I Know yeah. God Answers Prayer. I'm not sure if it's going to be that, mm. or Patricia St. John, Ooh, but we'll do great both of them in the next couple weeks. Who are you thinking about? Ooh, 
I might I might tone it down and try Lilius Trotter. Oh, I love Lilius Trotter. I love her yes. because she was yeah, not tone it down, but she was she was a, more of a more of a quiet soul. Yeah, oh, that's gonna be fantastic. <laughs> but she was wonderful. So that's my thought. So. Well, I can't wait till you and I get to meet together. Mm-hmm. Next time we're social distancing, but it's yes. working out. It, it's great. <laughs> and so we look forward to talking to you again about women you should know. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Women You Should Know with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram and Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter and Facebook. Thank you again for listening to Women You Should Know with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut.